Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 110. Today, April 2nd, 2019, is Equal Pay Day, my least favorite holiday, which symbolizes how long into 2019 the average American woman had to work to earn what the average American man took home last year. It's a way of symbolizing the gender wage gap that still persists in our pay in this country through time, not just dollars and cents. Now, when you look at the most recent U.S. census data on this, when it comes to median earnings for full-time year-round workers, women are still taking home only 80 cents on the man's dollar. Now, this might not be true for you. I hope it's not, especially since you're a listener of Bossed Up. I hope you've been advocating for yourself vocally and thinking mindfully about your career and getting all your worth and more. But on the macro level, there are still big systemic injustices that persist. And on today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about them, how they look differently when you look through the lens of race as it intersects with gender, what's being done on the macro level, why we need system change, but also what you can do on the micro level, on your personal level to ensure you're not being underpaid, you're not falling victim to wage discrimination, and that you're making your own personal financial situation a priority because nobody can do that for us and you're worth every penny and then some. Now, we're going to talk a lot about negotiation today, which is one of my favorite topics to speak on, to train on. I talk to college students all across the country about how to navigate that transition from school to the career path. And I love helping women with interactive negotiation training. And it's one of our most popular modules at Bossed Up Bootcamp, our two-day weekend-long training program for women navigating career transitions of all kinds. Whether you're heading from the classroom to career, whether you're navigating a career shift or just craving something new and want to get to that next level, Bossed Up Bootcamp is the perfect program for you. And our next one is coming up on the last weekend of this month in New York City. We're bossing up the Big Apple, April 27th and 28th. So if you want to gain a whole new skill set to advocate for yourself at work, including negotiation training, you should register to join us in New York. You'll leave with a back Badass squad of bossed up community members behind you, a fresh new headshot, an awesome yoga class on Sunday, followed by a bottomless mimosa brunch, and of course, a plan of action for how you're going to make that next step in your career a reality. Now on to today's conversation with one of my absolute favorites, a longtime Bossed Up supporter. She and I have sort of watched each other rise over the past five or six years I'm so excited to introduce you to, or hopefully reintroduce you to, one of my favorite collaborators, especially when it comes to talking about women, power, 
and money. And that is, of course, Tanya Rapley, the millennial money expert and creator of the award-winning site MyFabFinance. In 2014, she was deemed the new face of wealth building by Black Enterprise Magazine and featured on their cover... To celebrate her mission to help millennials break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck so that they can become financially free and do more of what they love. Now, Tanya just is returning from her own maternity leave after becoming a mother for the first time last year, which we're so excited about, Tanya. And her little baby, Karis, actually joined us for the interview. So if you hear a little baby babbling in the background, that's just Karis cheering his mama on. And that is the reality of being your own boss, too. I think Tanya and I have both navigated the transition to owning our own business and growing our own business. And sometimes it means mama's got to get business done and sit down for an interview with a baby on our lap. And you know me, I am never one to shy away from whatever kind of flexibility we need to make it possible for women of all different walks of life, including moms, to contribute. So I'm excited for you to hear not only the excellence that Tanya brings to this conversation and some of the clear takeaways you can apply to becoming more financially free through negotiating, but also what a great example of being a boss mama and showing up to share her expertise and you know the realities of life as a mom entrepreneur, <laughs> as an entrepreneur and a mom. So Tanya, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, his first podcast officially, Bossed Up Baby. <laughs> Bossed Up Baby in the house making the podcast debut. I love it. It's a first for me, but <laughs> I am so glad you two could join us. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this work, first of all. You know, I got into this work partly out of necessity because I was my own first client. But also from observation, because when I started my fab finance, I was working with low-income women. They were single women who just, life happened to them fast. And even though they had been doctors, lawyers, Broadway actresses, you know, county workers, in their younger years, in retirement, they were living in these SROs. And SROs being single resident occupancy units, meaning like it's essentially adult dorm rooms. And I was like, man, this is what happens when you don't plan for life. Like, I don't want life to happen to me and I don't want life to hit me this hard. And so that's when I started my fat finance and started doing this work. And from starting my fat finance, I started realizing that other women had questions when it came to their money. You know, we're just there to be the voice for women. You know, men, of course, are always like, you don't help men with money. I'm like, money is money. Like we serve millennial women too, but I also help generation X, Y, Z, boomers, whoever, you know, with their money because money is money. So I can help you, but this is tailored for women and creating a space where women feel comfortable and empowered to talk about money and like men won't talk over them. Yeah, I totally believe in that. I always say to people who ask me that, yeah, when men are only occupying 20% of leadership positions in the world, I'll focus on helping men with getting bossed up, you know? <laughs> it's okay to have a community focused on women. And I love that MyFabFinance is really focused on helping women with financial empowerment. You know, today's conversation is an interesting one because I want to be as practical and tactical as possible for women listening today thinking, yeah, equal pay is still not a reality in this country. And there's stuff we can do about it. I want it to be practical. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of injustice involved in this, right? There's a lot of powers that be and laws that are not on our side. We don't have laws on the books to mandate equal pay for equal work. So why is it important that women take that power into their own hands to negotiate for all their worth while we hopefully figure out some of the systemic solutions as well? Well, it's important because I think that women, we are incredibly powerful and we want something to happen. We decide to make something happen. 
it happens. Like we are creators, literally. And so I think that it's the movement starts with us. Like we can't look for men to create solutions for things that don't affect them outside of affecting maybe their wives, daughters, children's mothers, all the other women in their lives that they should care, but they don't. So we can't necessarily look to them to solve this issue. And I think that, you know, there are different things that we can do, you know, as women business owners, as women leaders and so forth to ensure that equal pay is possible. So, I mean, like bucking those stereotypes that were set in those, workplace rules that were set aside by men like oh we don't talk about our salary no let's talk about our salaries so we can find out you know how much you guys are making um as opposed to us and so i just think it's important for women to do this work and i hate for it to be something else on our shoulders because we already have so much on our shoulders but things don't happen until women decide to make it happen and so we really just have to decide like you know we can't ignore the issue just because a few of us are being paid equally doesn't mean that the issue is over or just because we might be paid equal doesn't mean that we shouldn't look out for other women who are coming b- behind us or walking beside us and ensuring that they receive equal pay. Yeah, I love that point. Excellent point, because it's not something we're all necessarily faced with ourselves. But looking at the macro numbers, especially when you look at them according to race, these numbers are still show that we have a lot of room to improve. So April 2 today represents on average what women had to work to get what men took home and pay last year. But equal pay day for women of color, if you look at Asian American women, that's actually earlier in the year, March 5, uh, white women's equal pay day is April 19, so not too long from now. African-American and Black women, August 22. Native American women, September 23. And Latinas, November 20th. What does that say to you? It says that not only is it a disparity in genders, but there's a disparity in races and ethnicities. And I think it highlights the need for women to work together, women of all ethnicities to work together. It's not just a white woman's issue. It's not just an Asian-American woman's issue. It's not just a Black woman's issue. It's a women's issue, period. To hear that for Latin American women, it's not until November. As a Black woman, it's like, oh my God, Like I know how it was for me when I was in the workplace. And I know the inequality that existed that actually caused me to like caused me to lose my job, like to quit my job. And I hate that it's that much further for someone else, you know, for another one and so forth. So it's like, it's like, no, we have to fix this. And we should all be working to hit the finish line together at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's important to highlight the difference, right? Especially for those of us for whom privilege feels like an afterthought, right? I know a lot of white women have the privilege of getting through life or navigating life without having to think about how my race might be impacting my salary. And that's a privilege that just means we don't have to constantly worry about that or think about that. And really looking at how stark those numbers are can help remind us that we have more work to do, as the Obamas like to say. So it's checking your privilege on all fronts. One thing I'm always doing is checking privilege in my own life and checking the ways that I'm privileged and, and how do I try to balance the scales for other women who might not experience the same level of privilege that I have. Such so as when I went through my pregnancy, understanding like my maternity leave was completely different and my postpartum period is completely different because I'm a college educated woman who came from, you know, a relatively stable family environment and started her own business. So I get to call the shots on what my maternity leave looks like. Whereas in a working class woman who doesn't come from that background doesn't have that privilege. And I think that we always have to be acknowledging privilege in our lives and how we can help balance the playing field for others that might not be able to experience the same amount of privilege that we do. I love that you're talking about parenthood because I want to talk about how the wage gap impacts women who are mothers 
even more so than men. You know, I dove into the data on this a couple of years ago when I was first doing an episode on this, on the motherhood wage penalty for Stuff Mom Never Told You, my old show that I co-hosted with the incomparable Bridget Todd. And I will link to that episode in the show notes today. But it basically goes to show us that the vast majority of the gender wage gap is shouldered by mothers. If you actually look at equal pay day for all moms in terms of their salary compared to all dads, moms have to work until June 10th of this year to earn what the average dad took home last year. So that's 69 cents on the dollar. And we all know that moms are some of the most efficient workers in our workforce too. Like have a child, you learn how to get things done. Oh my God, it's crazy. Yeah, like I'm about to breastfeed and do this podcast right now. Learn <laughs> <laughs> to yes. get things done. Yes, I am so into what's happening right now. If you want to turn the camera off, by the way, you're welcome to, but I love that you're breastfeeding while interviewing. <laughs> so how does this identity shift hit you? You know, you became a mom relatively recently and- You help women own their power and own their power over their destiny by really earning more and making sure their personal finances are something they think about, they advocate for, they fight for. Like as a mom, looking at those numbers, how does that make you feel? It's so frustrating. Like I said, because moms, we work hard. Like, you know, as a new mom, I had to call my mom when I had my son, like, thank you so much. I do not know how much you love me. And I didn't know how hard you worked. <laughs> like, I know dad was there, but dad wasn't there. <laughs> Not enough for, for what we did. And so it, it's just so disappointing because it's thankless work. And I think that when we think about, you know, what leads to depression and dissatisfaction in our society, it is that thankless work. And then on top of that, you're not being compensated enough so you can take a day off for yourself or like hire help that you might need. And so, you know, the work at my fab finance and the work my journey as a mother has also um, encouraged me or inspired me to create the maternal health and education project which is to support women with their postpartum healing process and postpartum needs because there's not enough emphasis put on that our paternal and maternal leave policies in this country are already terrible and then on top of that women aren't getting paid what they deserve so they can't get that leg up when it's time to go on maternity leave and then mothers aren't getting paid what they deserve so that they can you know, parent the best way possible with the best, most resources that they need. And so I don't think enough people know how stark these issues are. I'm thankful for platforms like yours to highlight them for, you know, anyone listening, like, oh my gosh, that's a problem. Let me do something about it because we all can do something about it. You know, me as the owner of a company, I can do something about it to make sure that the women who I employ are paid, if not better than men are paid in their field. And, you know, talking to other women that I know who own companies and bringing this up anytime I'm having a conversation, because it's not just a conversation that we should have in April on Equal Pay Day. It's a conversation we should be having year round. Anytime we get someone's ear who's willing to listen and can do something. The most incredible evidence of discrimination, outright discrimination that mothers faced, I recall this one study that I stumbled upon during my research for prior episodes on this showed that when candidates were given, these were business school students, when business school students were given two resumes for the same job and asked to offer them a job, if the name was female and one of their extracurricular activities listed on their resume had to do with parenting, like a PTA association position, Versus if the name was clearly male and had the same association that it made it clear that they were parents, 
they offered the woman who was a mom significantly less money than they offered the man who is a dad. And it stems from these unconscious beliefs that men who have kids, oh, they're breadwinners. We got to, you know, they've got a family to provide for. We got to offer them more money. And moms who have kids are seen as less committed to their jobs. And that all stems from a whole bunch of outdated assumptions we make about women and dads and men and moms. (laughs) And it's disheartening. And you said these were students, these are business school students? Business school students, yeah. They're not even in the workforce yet. They're not even making decisions right. and they already have these biases. So imagine when they get into the workforce and interact with individuals. And, you know, and I think that's where challenging biases and status quo begins is in school and highlighting this, highlighting this as an issue so that people are aware of it. Maybe I'm optimistic in this assumption that maybe people don't even realize it, that they're, they're playing to this bias and maybe we need to bring it up and like, no, you are making a biased decision, whether it's conscious or unconscious. Yeah. A lot of this is unconscious, implicit bias about the thought process we make when it comes to treating moms differently. I'll give you an example. I'll own up. I'll calm myself in for a second here. You know, I've got the Bossed Up team of trainers. These are women who, like you, I featured at Bossed Up boot camps over the years or on Bossed Up webinars over the years or who've joined me to get trained up in sort of the Bossed Up methodology at some point over the past few years. And I call up different trainers for different opportunities and different needs that I have when it comes to training and, and coming to boot camp and presenting on webinars. And I remember there was one woman who was my first pick for coming to train at Boston Boot Camp, but she had just had a child like six months prior. And I reached out to her and said, hey, I almost didn't ask you if you wanted to come train at this event with me because in my mind, I already assumed that you have other things to do, that you got other stuff on your plate. But then I realized how completely bogus that would have been if I hadn't reached out to you. And I know it's a long shot, but do you want to come train at Boston Boot Camp? And she ended up saying no, because she did have other things to do. Yeah, you gave her the opportunity because you never know. You just never know where someone is. And, you know, motherhood can be very lonely too. Yeah, you don't want to count people out because of their parental status. That is full on bias. And <laughs> It's one of those unconscious assumptions that seems like it's coming from a good place, but it's not good. So if you're treating someone differently because they're a mom, knock it off. (laughs) Because they're a parent, because they're a mother, like, yeah. Unless you're providing a lactation room, in which case, go for it, you know? (laughs) Unless you're you're being accommodating. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's different. So for women listening in, Tanya, who want to own their money better, who want to really make more money, who want to make sure that they're not just spending less, but they're earning more on Equal Pay Day in particular, what advice would you give them for negotiating their next job offer or for negotiating a raise? Like, What are some of the key things that women need to think about? You know, one of the things I found was actually helpful for me when negotiating a raise and I, you know, just speaking from my own experience was actually talking about salary with people, like actually having conversations with other women who I trusted at my workplace well, when was the last time you got a raise? You know, people who had been there longer than me, what is the culture here? So-and-so and so, you know, how should I best approach this? Asking for advice because there's a lot of historical information you can learn about an organization by asking questions and finally talking about it. And then it could be empowering to someone else who might not have ever thought about it, you know? So you asking those questions. So I think first getting to know who you're working with, who you're working for, and what those workplace dynamics are, and how they kind of receive those conversations, and if they've in the past, what have they done around that, around other people asking for increases in pay, but also to find out if you are underpaid by your employer. Because that happened to me. I advocated for a raise for myself 
Um, and I got a $15,000 raise and it turned out they were starting men at the same rate. I had to advocate for that and they were giving it to other people. And I found that out because I talked to someone who was in HR and she said, hey, so just so you know. Um, so yeah, conversations. I know they try to make it seem like it's taboo to talk about money. No, transparency. Let's be transparent about this because we're all doing it. Like our work isn't transparent. That's for sure. Also, just to chime in on that, I did an episode all about the legality around, do you have the right to talk about your salary at work? And the answer is hell yes. So employers who try to make it seem like there's a policy against it are in some ways opening themselves up to liability and being basically in violation of the law. So I'll link to that episode in the show notes for folks who want to hear about it because not only is it so important that you talk to your female colleagues, but you mentioned that you talked to some of the men in your office too to find out about that discrepancy or someone in HR. We have to talk to men about what they're making too. We have to. Yeah, make a few allies. Like, you know, yeah. it helps to have allies in your workplace. And then also understanding for your industry, like do your research. That's another thing. You know, if I'm going to ask for a raise, I'm not going to give them any reason to discount my request or feel like I am not knowledgeable about why I'm asking for this request. And so it is understanding what the going rate is for my position and my region and nationally, like what is the going rate for this based on what I'm doing? And then also making sure that you have proof of what you bring to the organization. So for me, that was saving email. Anytime someone sent me a congratulatory email or a thank you email or a satisfactory email, you did such a great job on this. The program was X, Y, Z. I sent that to my personal email and I created a folder. So when it was time for me to renegotiate, I went through that the night before I was having my meeting with my superior and I was able to say, well, I helped increase this. And remember when I when I left this program and we experienced this as, a, as an organization because of my efforts. And so it is really being able to document what you bring to the organization or the company and not just saying I deserve a raise because I'm a woman, but I deserve a raise because I bring as much to this organization as the next person mm-hmm. does. And also, I think what doesn't land well, which I hear on occasions, I've been here for two years. I deserve a raise. <laughs> you know, that's something important to bring up too. Just because you've been there doesn't mean that you've been doing work that merits a raise. And granted, you should be being paid equally regardless of how, you know, when you start. But right. also we have to think like time doesn't equal a raise necessarily either. Right. And so it's about showing how have I gone above and beyond in the past year? How am I committed to bringing even more? How can I be sustainable here? Exactly. Those are all the sort of phrases that I recommend women use as well. I think it's a great conversation to start around annual review time or quarterly reviews if you have one of those. If anything, today's conversation around equal pay should remind us all to do our homework, ask our colleagues what they're making, double check to make sure we're not being underpaid, go on Glassdoor, talk to you know, folks in your industry and other companies to make sure you're on target. And either way, it never hurts to ask for a review and ask about a raise in that conversation. Exactly. I mean, if you don't feel like you can talk to someone in your office, ask a question on social media, ask them on Facebook, you know, like ask it in a group that you're a part of, but ask someone, start talking to people because even if they're not in the same industry, maybe they have the same experience level as you. And that still is an indicator of what you could and should be making at your experience level. Yeah. What about women who feel like this is such a personal reflection of our worth? I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to take money away from the organization. I don't want to take money away from our nonprofit and really feel like, I don't know if I'm good enough for a raise. No, you got to get over that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm, I'm sorry to say it like that. And I don't want it to seem like I'm insensitive to anyone who has those concerns. But if you're in a 
they employ you and they decide to bring you on, you're valuable. Like they employed you for a reason. They keep you around for a reason. They are paying you already for a reason. Like people don't pay to keep people around that they don't value. And so you're not going to lose money. As a company, your goal is not to lose money. Your company is to make money. So you just have to think about that. Like you are bringing value to the company if they've, if they've kept you around this long, but you want to make sure that they're not getting you at a bargain and they're not getting you at a discount from what they actually should be paying you at. And releasing that assumption that what they offer me is what they can afford. Most of the time it's not. It's what they offered you is what you would take. It's not what they could afford. They usually could afford more. And so if you work in a nonprofit, especially, you can go online like GuideStar, I think it is. I think that's a site where you can go and you can look at the tax documents for the nonprofit to find out what people are being paid at your organization. I did that at one time at a job I was working at. And I lie to you not, Emily. So most of us are entry level people. We were being paid like $27,000, $15,000. Our boss is making like $130,000 a year. And we're always screaming the organization didn't have any money. If the organization doesn't have any money, you should be making six figures. And that was another reason I was able to go in and confidently ask for a raise. So if you are able to access salary data, by all means, do it. You're not doing yourself or your bank account or your future you know, dependents any favors by playing small. And just think about as you negotiate and increase your salary at this job, it allows you to command more down the line. You don't want to set the precedent of being underpaid. You want to at least set the precedent of being paid what you're worth. Yeah. Which like you said earlier, this might be what men are getting by default, but we have to advocate for. And that sucks. But until that reality changes, which I'd love to see change in my lifetime, we have to fight for it. This isn't the thing that's going to come like an A at the end of a semester, right? No one's going to hand you permission or a report card to say, you're doing a good job. Here's a raise. Like you have to advocate for yourself. What would you say to a woman who worries that she's going to come across as braggy or selfish or aggressive for asking for more? <sighs> men don't worry about that. Like, I mean, let's be honest. Men don't worry about that. That is not a man's concern. And, you know, and maybe it's kind of unfair for me to speak to this because like once I started my business and once I started working in the workplace, I said, I'm going to walk into spaces with the confidence of a mediocre white male. Like, I'm just going to walk here. I'm supposed to be here. What I'm asking for is supposed to be given to me. It actually got me far. So I would just say, like, really ask yourself, men don't worry about that. Men don't worry about coming across bitchy or assertive. Like, this actually celebrated when it comes to men. And sometimes it's not to the advantage of a woman. But I think that as a woman, you get a lot further making noise and advocating for yourself than playing small and playing quiet. And make it a habit because when you have children, you're going to have to do that. When you're giving birth, you're going to have to do that. When you're communicating with your spouse and your in-laws and everybody else, you're going to have to do that. So I think make it a habit of advocating for yourself. I love that because it does feel like a muscle you can all develop. You know, we can all get better at it. It becomes less scary through time. And it's kind of like, you know, pretend we live in the world we want to live in until it's true. <laughs> yeah. The more you do it, the more confident you become. And I have a really good friend and she was a colleague when I worked at that job. We found that the CEO was making six figures. And when I left, I asked her, I was like, have you asked for a raise yet? And she was like, no, she had been there for two years and she had never asked for a raise. And so I was like, no, like ask for a raise. I asked for when they gave, they gave me a raise like every eight months because I continuously asked for them. 
And so she did it at that job, but now going forward, she's negotiating and advocating for herself. And each position I see her take, she becomes more confident in negotiating and advocating for herself. I always say courage is contagious. Yes. Show them how it's done and then lift as you climb. And it's, you know, it's something we can spread. And once you have that first win, you're like, wait a minute, that was actually easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I love it. Keep doing it. Why am I not doing this? And, you know, that, that goes to individuals who are self-employed as well. I had a brand send me a message the other day and say, we want to pay you this. I was like, no, my starting rate started blank, blank, blank. And they had to come correct. And, you know, and then that still, I was like, I don't think I want to do this anyway. <laughs> but, you know, it, so even when you're self-employed, you still deal with that too. So even if you think- I'd say more so. Yeah. And so once you don't think that once I resign from working in a traditional workplace, my fight is over. Like, no, your fight is actually just beginning in a different capacity. That is very true. So- Big picture question here. I think at the end of the day, we have to think about what's really on the line for women asking for more is financial freedom. What is so important to you about women gaining financial freedom in this world? Financial freedom. I've seen so many people compromise their happiness and their potential and their quality of life out of concern for finances. And financial freedom really allows you, I would say, to say yes to what you want to say yes to and no to what you don't want to do. It gives you options. And optional living is, like, you know, exceptional living, in my opinion, to be able to live with options. And so, but it's very hard to exercise that if you're not financially secure. If you're not making enough money, it's hard for you to pay down debt. It's hard for you to save money. It's hard for you to make those investments. And so achieving financial freedom starts with owning your situation and earning and maxing out your income earning potential. I know there are some people who are in poor financial situations because they mismanage their money, but there are some people who are in poor financial situations because they just don't make enough money. And I feel like there'd be less abuse in the world. I feel like there'd be less depression if women were earning what they were worth and treated with the value that they are to the world. Yeah. And the whole world, I think, would be better yeah. if women had more financial freedom. Like when women are doing well, societies are doing well. We do better with our money. We give to more causes. We empower more people. We, I mean, when women are CEOs, we tend to bring more women into the companies and so forth. And so it's not just for you. It's for the women in your family, the women that will come behind you, the women who are looking up to you, that you're also empowering with your journey. I love it. Tanya and little baby Karis. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today and for sharing your message. For anybody who wants to learn more, head to myfabfinance.com to learn more about Tanya and all the amazing work she's doing. What are some of the exciting things you've got on the horizon now that you're making your comeback from maternity leave? Yeah, making my comeback. So with MyFab Finance, we're buckling down with Operation Independence. So our commitment is to help a thousand people break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck this year. So we'll be rolling that out at the end of April, which is also Financial Literacy Month. And then on my personal end, I just established the Maternal Health and Education Fund because as I mentioned before, I had a very privileged pregnancy. I was able to hire a midwife as well as my OBGYN. And I was able to attend birthing classes and hire a lactation consultant and everything else. And there are so many women who can't do that. And so the Maternal Health and Education Project will provide scholarships and resources to low-income women so that they can hire birth workers to support them during their journey, but also postpartum. If Girl, if you need someone to come watch the baby for two hours while you step out the house or go for a walk, because people think that mothers need to be around their babies 24-7. It's like, no, mothers need a break. 
Oh. And so I want women to have a break if they need to. I want women to be more supported. If you want to keep up with Tanya and learn more about all the resources she has made available for women who want to grow their wealth, head to myfabfinance.com right now. And I want to close this interview with an acknowledgement that yes, today's episode is focused on negotiation. And yes, I'm dropping more resources in the links in today's show notes for you to navigate your next negotiation like a boss. But I also want to state the obvious here in case it's not that obvious. We shouldn't have to do this. We shouldn't have to advocate, as Tanya said, to be offered the same that our male counterparts or our white counterparts are being offered without having to advocate. And that's part of the message in the Bossed Up book is like, (laughs) yeah, we live in a world that is not perfect, that is full of systemic oppression and injustice. And... Even though we shouldn't have to do this, here's how to be your own best ally, to be your own advocate while we solve things on the more systemic level too. There has been some progress made on the systemic level to make it more illegal for companies to pay men and women differently for the same work. Whether it was the 1963 Federal Equal Pay Act, which made it illegal for employers to pay women less than men for equal work on jobs requiring the same skills, efforts, and responsibilities. Or in 1964, when Congress passed the Civil Rights Act, which includes Title IX, that protects discrimination in employment based on protected class status like age, race, or gender. However, there's still a lot of loopholes, a lot of exceptions, a lot of ways in which these laws don't always prevent the most vulnerable workers. Because as a worker, if you want to even start a claim or pursue a claim under Title IX, the Title IX section of the Civil Rights Act, you first have to file a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, which investigates those claims and determines if there's sufficient merit to bring a suit And it's a lot of labor. It's a lot of uncompensated time, energy, and effort that it takes to pursue a claim, to pursue justice through the courts system. And we also know that pursuing a claim in court hasn't always been the best when it comes to looking at injustice through an intersectional lens. In 2009, the first law that President Obama signed was the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, which helped a little bit by extending the statute of limitations to sue an employer in retrospect when you see that they've been underpaying you your entire career. But still, the laws on the books thus far, both at the federal and state level, put the onus on the worker to pursue a claim. And really, there isn't that much enforcement happening without being initiated by workers themselves. So even though we shouldn't have to negotiate to be treated equally under the law or to be treated equally by employers, until our laws are stronger, until enforcement is more significant, and until across the board norms really change around how we share job descriptions and whether and when we put salaries out there publicly for jobs that we're interviewing for and how employers are gauging your past salary as indicative of what you should make in the future. Like all of that has to change. And until then, we've got to be the boss of our own careers. We've got to be the advocates that we've been waiting for. All right. Speaking of self-advocacy, here's an awesome boss move of the week to close today's show on. Hi, Emily. This is Stephanie from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. My bossed up move is after following your advice on knowing your worth from your podcasts, I negotiated a great salary at a new job that I'm going to be starting on Monday. I, in the past, would have been happy with making what they would have offered me and probably wouldn't have negotiated much more beyond that. 
but from listening to you, I asked for 20000 more, and to my happiness, I actually got it. I'm leading a bigger team and making more money, so thank you. Awesome, boss. We are cheering you on. I am so proud of you, and I am so grateful for you to call into the Boss Up podcast and share your come-up story. That number, again, if you have a career conundrum you want me to tackle next on the podcast, or if you've got a boss move to share, we want to hear from you. We want to cheer you on. So give my hotline a ring at 910-668-BOSS. That's 910-668-BOSS or 2677. I can't wait to see some of you out in New York for this month's Bossed Up Bootcamp, April 27 and 28. You can learn more and register now at bossedup.org slash bootcamp. And as always, three-month installation payment options and scholarships are available. So make sure to learn more about those options at bossedup.org slash bootcamp, or just email me or DM me on social media if there's any way I can help you get there. If Bossed Up Bootcamp is for you, make sure to get in on this month's New York City Bossed Up Bootcamp because we actually won't be holding another one for a little while because, drum roll, I'll be heading out on my book tour next month. May 21st kicks it off with a launch party in Denver, and then I'll be in DC, New York, LA, Chicago, Austin, San Francisco, all kinds of amazing places that you can also register now for in the link in today's show notes. So there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon. I want to thank you all so much for your early support of the Bossed Up book. I cannot wait to hear what you think. In the meantime, share today's episode with the women in your world who you want to encourage to ask for more this Equal Pay Day. Keep bossing and together we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are 
owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup. 